When I got out of the army, I moved in with my brother. He just bought a house. And so we moved in together. And as we fell into our routines, one of the routines we fell into was watching a, a TV show called about a superhero called The Tick. It was a cartoon. I can't remember why we started watching that show, but it was just something mindless and funny to watch. And one of the episodes, one of the, the enemies of the ticks got together, of the tick got together, and, and they were trying to find a way to keep him from being able to interfere, of course, with their plans. And they came up with a, a diabolical weapon to incapacitate the tick. And the diabolical weapon was called the comfortable chair. The plan was for the tick to sit down in the comfortable chair and get so comfortable that he would be unmotivated to do anything but sit in his chair and enjoy his comfort. As the show went on, it was a raging success. When the tick sat in his comfortable chair, he instantly became so comfortable he did not care about getting up to fight crime. He simply sat in his comfortable chair, repeatedly saying, so comfortable. The comfortable chair was so comfortable, the tick did not want to do anything. All he wanted to do was sit in his chair and be comfortable. Now, I'll tell you this story because I find it terribly easy to get in the comfortable chair of life. Now, chances are we all find it easy to, to fall into the comfortable chair of life. When we're in the comfortable chair, everything is comfortable. Life is comfortable. Church is comfortable. Our jobs are comfortable. The way we live out our relationship with Jesus is comfortable. Everything is basically comfortable in our lives. And when we are in the comfortable chair and when we have reached this level of comfort, one of the things we fear most is losing our comfort. And we tend to do whatever we can to maintain the status quo and keep ourselves comfortable. And as with the tick, this diabolical weapon comes from our enemy. The comfortable chair of life comes from the enemy of our souls because God does not necessarily give us a comfortable chair to live in. God calls us to a different kind of life which is not necessarily comfortable. He calls us to a life of faith. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. As disciples of Jesus, we are never meant to live our lives in the comfortable chair. We're meant to live with a living faith. A living faith trusting Jesus' character enough to act on Jesus' promise. A living faith isn't about what we say as much as it is about what we do. A living faith is always rooted more in our actions than in our words. This is clearly seen all throughout Scripture, but especially where we're focused at right now in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is all about people of faith. They were commended for their faith. By faith is the key phrase throughout the chapter. But what we see is by faith they did things. It's not so much by faith they confessed faith, but by faith they acted. By faith they they did things. The evidence of their living faith was seen in the actions they took. Their living faith gave evidence of the fact they believed God. Now, this is the kind of living faith I want to have in my life. I want my living faith in the living Christ to give evidence to his greatness, and his power, his goodness and his majesty. I want the day I, the way I live my day to day life to testify to a watching world. My savior is real. My savior is wonderful and my savior is worthy. 
And I'm sure you want these things as well. The question is, how do we how do we live this way? Well, that's what we'll see tonight. Open your Bible. If you haven't to Hebrews 11, 5, don't stand. We're only going to look at this one verse. Um, Hebrews 11, 5. If you have a pew Bible, it's page 926. And it says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For before he was taken up, he was attested to have been pleasing to God. Title of the message tonight is The Walk of Faith. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We praise you for your love and your kindness. We praise you for your many blessings. Father, if we were to take the time and count our blessings, we would never come to an end. Father, we could just spend hour after hour reciting all of the good things you have done for us. And as many as we can think of, there's more that we have forgotten. And as many as we have forgotten, there's more we never even noticed. Of what you have done in us, through us, and for us in our lives. We rejoice to know you are better than our minds can comprehend. You are better than we know, no matter how good we know you to be. Father, we want to be a people who live by a living faith. We don't want to get caught in the comfortable chair of life. And, and lose our fire and our fervency to do your will. We don't want to get caught in the comfortable chair of life and become complacent with the status quo. We want to always be trying to work out our faith with reverence and fear. We always want to be taking what you're saying to us, what you've said to us, and living it out in the best way possible. We want the world around us to see us in the way we live and the way we act and know we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And for them to ask us why we have such a hope, why we live in such a way. So we are given the opportunity then to tell them about the Savior who came and died and rose again and encourage them to repent of their sins and believe in him for the salvation of their souls. Guide us tonight as we look at the life of Enoch. We would learn what it is to live a life of faith, to walk the walk of faith, that we would take it and apply it, be challenged where we need to be challenged, strengthened where we need to be strengthened, encouraged where we need to be encouraged and changed where we need to be changed. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech and help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask in Jesus name. Amen. So Enoch is the next example of faith by Faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. Enoch didn't die. Before death could claim him, he was found pleasing to God and God took him up. Now, we really aren't told a lot about Enoch. We're told uh, what we see here. And, and we have just a couple of verses in the book of Genesis. And, and this is the whole life and the whole story of Enoch as given to us in God's word. Now Enoch lived 65 years and fathered Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he fathered Methuselah. And he fathered other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now the only thing really that would stand out. There's just a couple of things about Enoch that would stand out in this chapter. 
Genesis 5 is largely just a genealogical chapter. It details the the children of Adam and Eve in a post-Cain and Abel world. And it tells us a lot like this. They lived this many years. They had a, a particular child at names. They lived so many years after that then they and fathered other sons and daughters, and then they died. And, and that is essentially all it tells us about any of them. Enoch is the only one who has given really any sort of biographical information at all. Enoch and Noah stand out from the crowd. Enoch and Noah are both given a little bit more. And, and they stand out from the crowd by the way they lived their lives. Noah was righteous and Enoch walked with God. And that is the, the key phrase in the life of Enoch is he walked with God. 300 years, he had kids, he walked with God some more, and then God took him. Now, one of the most common ways living for Jesus is described in God's word is that of a walk. We are to walk worthy of our calling in Ephesians chapter 4. That's the way we live our life. We are to walk in the spirit. That's live in the spirit. And so the idea here with Enoch as a person of faith, the walk of faith, is Enoch walked with God. He lived his life with God. God was always a part of the way he lived and what he did. So the question would come, though, what does it mean or what does it look like for us to to walk with God? Now, there's a lot of things I guess I could say, but there is one passage in particular that speaks of our walk with God. And it's an Old Testament passage, the book of Micah. God has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness. And this is our key phrase for tonight. Walk humbly with your God. That last phrase almost perfectly sums up What it is to walk with God almost perfectly sums up the walk of of faith. And so our key thought for tonight is the living faith walks humbly with Jesus. Walk humbly is the key description of the walk of faith. So what I plan to do is I'm going to explain what it means to walk humbly with Jesus. We're going to have one quick Picture in the Bible of someone who walked humbly with Jesus in one particular instance. And then we'll give it, I'm going to give you a challenge to walk humbly with Jesus. And then we'll pray and we'll dismiss. So walk, a living faith walks humbly with Jesus. First is walk. It's a way of life. Right? Walking with Jesus is a way of life. Right? And this is a, a key thing. Again, walk is the way we live our lives. Our relationship with Jesus, our being with Jesus is meant to be more than, say, a time of prayer in the morning, reading our Bible at some point in the day, and then going out with the rest of our lives. We're we're to be with Jesus to such an extent, walking with Jesus as a way of life is, is kind of living in such a way we're always aware of the fact Jesus is with us, that he goes with us every part of our lives and every part of our days. And I think often what we do is we we have the idea, we, we have our morning quiet time, we have our time with Jesus, and then we go on about our day. It's almost like we, we leave Jesus, and then we go on about our day, and then the next morning we come back to Jesus again. And that's really not the way it's meant to be. 
The way it's meant to be is, sure, we have our morning time with Jesus. We have our time of prayer. We have our time in the Word. But Jesus doesn't stay there. Lo, I am with you always, he says. Right. So as we go through our life, we have our time with Jesus. Then we get up and we go through our life. And Jesus goes with us all throughout our day, through everything we're going to do throughout our life. One of the best articles I've ever read to help me with this was from a blog post I read years ago, and it was entitled, Don't Put Jesus First. And at first I thought that it was probably a typo. Or I thought maybe I had misread it. Or maybe the guy had gone off. He had, I'd always kind of liked him, but maybe he had gone off. Don't put Jesus first. That, that sounded almost heretical to me in the way I thought. So I opened up the article, and the very first line of the blog said this. Yes, you read that correctly. But before you label me a heretic, let me explain. And so the point of the article was walking with Jesus was more than ensuring Jesus was just first in our life. It was ensuring Jesus was in all of our life. Probably all of us at one point or another have been taught Christian priorities. right? Jesus, our family, our job, and then whatever else may come after that. And what we do when we build it that way is we almost build compartments for our life. I have a Jesus compartment in my heart and I have a family compartment in my heart and I have a job compartment and I have a money compartment and I have a time compartment. So I have all of these things, but Jesus is first. He's the most important, but then there's all of the rest. But that's not the way it's meant to be. Jesus isn't meant to be a compartment in our life. Jesus is meant to be in all of our lives. Our lives are meant to be one big compartment with Jesus in all of it. That's kind of the idea of walk, it's a way of life. So it's not, I have a Jesus compartment. It's my relationship with Jesus is like everything. I don't have a family compartment. I have Jesus in my family. I have not a work compartment, but I have Jesus in my work. Jesus with my friends. Jesus in my hobbies. Jesus is in everything. And Jesus is a part of everything I do all throughout my life, no matter where I go or what I do. This is almost a perfect idea of walking with Jesus. Walking with Jesus means we don't divide our lives into secular or sacred areas. It means all of my life is one big area and Jesus is a part of all of it. No matter what I'm doing, I ensure I focus on the fact Jesus is with me. There's a book by a, a monk. I can't even, couldn't tell you how old the book is. Hundreds of years old. And the guys wrote the book and it's called Experiencing God. No, that's not it. Practicing the Presence of God. And one of the lines he's made in the book that has always stuck with me was, he said, I can be as aware of God being with me when I'm peeling the potatoes as I am when I'm in the sanctuary praying. I thought, man, now that's how I want to live my life. I want to be just as aware of Jesus when I'm at the gym as I am when I'm here. 
I want to be just as aware of Jesus when I'm shopping at Walmart as I am when I'm here. No matter where I go, I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to come to church to meet with Jesus. Now that doesn't mean we don't meet with Jesus in a special way when we come together as His people in a building consecrated to Him. There is something about that. But Jesus doesn't live here. This, we call this God's house, but technically, It's not. That was the Old Testament. We. He lives in us. The Spirit lives in us. Jesus lives in our hearts, the Bible says. He dwells in our hearts by faith. So no matter where I go, Jesus is with me. And and we should be just as aware of Him out there as we are in here. This is walking with Jesus as a way of life. The late author Dallas Willard said it this way. I believe the most adequate description of prayer is simply talking to God about what we are doing together. That immediately focuses on the activity where we are, but at the same time drives the egotism out of it. Requests will naturally be made in the course of this conversational walk. Prayer is a matter of explicitly sharing with God my concerns about what He too is concerned about in my life. And of course, He is concerned about my concerns, and in particular, that my concerns should coincide with His concerns. This is our walk together, and out of it I pray. Our desire should be to have a conversational walk with Jesus. And that's... All of life. But this doesn't happen unless our lives have been impacted and altered by our living faith. A living faith takes our relationship with Jesus beyond Jesus is cool, Jesus is neat. It takes it beyond the Jesus is first. It takes it even beyond I have my time with Jesus every day stage. And it takes us to the place where Jesus is an active participant in all of our lives. No matter where we go, we are aware He is there. He is a part. He is with us in what we're doing. A living faith walks humbly with Jesus. And walking with Jesus is a way of life. Then secondly... Humbly, he leads and we follow. Walk humbly with your God. Walk, it's a way of life. Humbly, he leads and we follow. To walk humbly with Jesus is to trust and follow his leadership in every area of our lives. How many of us played follow the leader when we were children? You remember the game. You, you try to do everything The leader does. If they raise their hand, you raise their hand. If they run, you run. If they jump, you jump. If they skip, you skip. If they scream, you scream. You do everything they do. And in a lot of ways, being a disciple of Jesus is one long game of follow the leader. Where the leader is Jesus. Think about when Jesus called his initial disciples What did he call them? How did he call them? What did he say to them? Follow me. Right? Follow me and I will make you into something, but follow me. To to humbly follow Jesus means to willingly 
follow him. And, and the willingly part is, is supremely important. How many of us as parents had the experience of trying to, to lead our children somewhere by the hand and they didn't want to go? And, and rather than just doing it like they should, they fought, they gripped, and they complained, and they shook their hand, and they tried to get it out of your hand, and they struck their feet, or they fell to the ground, and they just generally did all they could to try to keep from going where you were taking them. They had to because you're bigger than them, you're stronger than them, you could make them, but they were not willingly following you. How many of us, though, have been like that with Jesus? His his hand has our hand. And rather than just humbly following him, we we are like stubborn children and we're pulling back and we're jerking away and we're stopping or we're falling out or we're griping and we're complaining about where he's leading us because we don't want to go. If I'm going to walk humbly with Jesus and I'm that stubborn, obstinate child, then what I have to do is is stop. Stop the fighting. Stop the resisting. Stop the griping. Stop the jerking around and just follow where he leads. And if you're to walk humbly with Jesus and you're the obstinate child, then what you have to do is stop. Stop the jerking. Stop the griping. Stop the pulling away. Stop the trying to get around from doing what Jesus wants you to do and where Jesus wants you to go. To walk humbly with Jesus means He leads and we follow. And if He leads, He can lead. I mean, that was one of the rules in Father's Leader. They could go wherever they wanted to go and do whatever they wanted to do. And as the leader, Jesus can lead us wherever he wants us to go. And he can lead us to do whatever he wants us to do. And our job in that moment is just to follow him. Just to go where he goes and do what he does to the very best of our ability. And this is... Exactly what Jesus intends for us to do. He intends for us to live this way. In fact, this is part of the reason he he died and rose again. Look at what the Bible says. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord or leader, both of the dead and of the living. He died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Part of the reason Jesus died and rose again, called us to himself, so he would be Lord or leader in our lives. When we come to Jesus for salvation, in so many ways we Give up the right to call the shots in our lives. He is Lord. We're no longer, we have life from Him, so we live for Him and not for ourselves. You and I, as 
disciples of Jesus, we are not the authority in our lives. We're not the authority in our morality. And we're not the authority in our priorities. And we're not the authority in our attitudes. And we're not the authority in where we go. And we're not the authority in how we live. And we're not the authority in how we react to stressors. We're not the authority in how we talk or how we use our lives. The authority is in Jesus. And our job is simply to follow where He leads and do what He does. This is what it means to walk humbly with Jesus. And this is a part of what it means just to be a disciple of Jesus. If anyone wants to come after me, Jesus said, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, the daily, that's the picture. We walk Humbly with Jesus, daily. We deny ourselves and what we would want to do so we can do His will. Take up our crosses, essentially saying we die to self so we can live for Jesus. But the key for tonight is He must. Is cross-bearing optional? Is self-denial optional? Is it optional for Jesus to be Lord over our lives? Is it optional for us to live for Jesus and not for ourselves? The answer is no. It is not. This is basic Christianity. This isn't like next level stuff. Jesus talking to a crowd of people of all sorts Fully devoted disciples, random people who just thought he was interesting. If you want to come after me, he said, here's what you must do. This is how we must live. If we're to just be disciples of Jesus, much less walk by faith. If I can't, if I can't just deny myself, take up my cross in order to follow Jesus, I certainly can't live by faith and and do the other stuff, the scary stuff, the troubling stuff, the, the worrisome stuff he may lead me and call me to do. This is the bare bones basics of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. A living faith walks humbly with Jesus. And when we walk humbly with Jesus, he leads and we follow. Now with this foundation about what it is. To walk by faith. I want us to look at one example of someone whose living faith caused him to walk humbly with Jesus. Turn to Matthew 14. Start in verse 22. Should be page 746 in your pew Bible. This will be a familiar story once we get into it. But one of the great things about God's Word, one of the things I like best about it, is the honesty. Right? The people other than Jesus that we find in God's Word, they follow God, and at times they do just tremendously well in following Him. And then at other times, they follow God and they just, I mean, on spectacular levels, they blow it. And then there's a rare story where one person does both in the exact same story. And this is one of those. 
This is a story I chose because Peter walks humbly with Jesus. Peter starts out great. Peter blows it. Jesus just reaches out and takes him, though. So this is a great and an encouraging story. So before we get to the story, the setup of the story is in verses 13 through 21, Jesus has multiplied food. He has performed a great miracle. After performing the miracle, verse 22 says, Immediately afterward, he compelled the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After sent the crowds away, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. So he was there a while. But the boat was already, verse 24, a long distance from land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So picture the scene. Jesus performs this great miracle, feeds all these people, sends the disciples to go to the other side where he'll catch up. He goes off to pray. As he's praying, night falls upon the place. The disciples are rowing across and a storm comes up and the boat is beginning to be battered. Some of the other stories or some of the other uh, gospel accounts that talk about this, they're in great distress. The disciples are afraid they're going to die. They're not sure they're going to make it. Now, with that, we always have to keep in mind what many of them were when Jesus called them. They were fishermen. They were they had fished on these shores many times. They were very aware of these storms and had rowed through them many times. So this one must have been significant if they couldn't overcome it and they were kind of afraid. So they're battered by the waves, looking like the boat may sink. And in verse 25, it says, And on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, I always laugh. I, I can sure relate to being afraid because people don't naturally walk on the water, do they? Can you imagine? You're in a storm. You feel like you're going to be capsized and die. You fear for your life. And there's a dude walking on the water coming towards you. That would be a bit of a terrifying concept. But Jesus speaks to them these encouraging words. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Good stuff. Peter, always the spokesman. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, Peter's words can be overlooked because if we know the story, this isn't the first time we've read it. We know how it goes. But Peter's words could be overlooked, but I don't think they ought to be. Peter's words are significant. I mean, he's talking to Jesus, so it's like a prayer. So Peter's prayer here is a prayer of desire, right? He wants to be where Jesus is, commands you to come to you, right? There's desire. There's a prayer of surrender, right? If you, if it's you, you call me to you. He didn't, he didn't say, I'm going to jump out of the boat and if it's you, catch me. I'll come if you call. I'm surrendering. But it's a prayer of faith too. Right? I will leave the security of the boat. I'll crawl down. I'll get on the water. And I'll walk to you if you call me. Peter was wanting to walk humbly with his God. He was willing to be stretched because he'd never seen anybody walk on the water before. There's no Old Testament story of God causing somebody to walk on the water. 
He's willing to, to take action. He's willing to get out of the comfortable chair of the boat and go out to where it's scary and dangerous if that's what Jesus wants. He's ready to go from the familiar, the boat, out to the unfamiliar where the sea is. He's ready to go from living by faith or living by sight to living by faith. Peter has a living faith. And if it be God's will, he'll walk on that water with Jesus. And Jesus says, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. Again, I like Peter did not just. Peter, what Peter does here is not, what's the word? It's not that it's not risky. It, it, it is, it's not reckless. Right? Peter didn't just dive out of the boat and it's like, if that's Jesus, he'll catch me. That's what a lot of people would have us think faith is, right? Just do something reckless and, and God will take care of it. But that's not what happens here. Peter has given this prayer. If it's you and you call me, I'll come. Jesus then clearly says, come in response to Jesus, Peter steps out and he gets out of the water. Now, again, we know Peter's about to sink. We know the story. This isn't our first time to hear it. But before we jump to the fact Peter looked around, got afraid and sank, can we just take a minute and be amazed that Peter walked on the water? Right? Sure, Peter sank. But there were 11 other guys on the boat that didn't even get out. Peter's one of two people in the history of ever who have walked on water. One of them is Peter. The other is Jesus himself. So before we get down on Peter getting caught by the waves and beginning to sink, let's just be amazed at his courage. Let's be amazed at his faith, his his humble faith. He was walking humbly with his God, right? If it's you, you call me. And I'll come. And Peter stepped out and he walked. But in verse 30, he sees the wind and he becomes frightened and he begins to sink. Now, I'll I'll be honest. I think in my younger days, I probably was harsher on Peter here than I am now. I think a lot of times... When we're young in the faith, or, or young in particular, young people in general are, are often more self-righteous than older people. At least they ought to be. Younger people, they don't really know what they don't know. right? They, a younger person is not fully aware of their own depravity, so they're more prone to think of how wonderful they are. A, a younger person hasn't faced as many things where they can become frightened and begin to sink. But as now that I'm older, I, 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 I reconcile or I, I relate to all of this. I relate to saying, Lord, if that's you, you call me. I, I, I want to be where you are. I want to walk by faith. I want to walk on the water. I want to get out of the boat. I want to do it. But I also relate to looking at the waves once I get out there and thinking, Woo, son, this is terrifying. I mean, how easy is it for us to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto the stuff that's scary and begin to sink? Just think about in our day. I mean, just think about the news. Isn't it 
We, we read our Bible. We can, through our God, we can jump over a troop. And we can fight a troop and we can jump over a wall. Those who trust their God will do valiantly. Woo! Glory! Click. Rah, rah, rah. Rah, rah, rah. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon us. Right? Isn't that the, isn't that the way it can go? It's, it's very easy to look at the frightening things and, and begin to sink, to lose our focus on Jesus and sink. So Peter cries out. Right? He doesn't just drown, does he? He doesn't just be like, well, apparently I'm a worthless disciple of Jesus. I should just go ahead and drown and sink. He doesn't. He cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, now my Bible, the New American Standard says, immediately. Now, to me, that's that's important for me, right? Because Jesus doesn't stand over a sinking Peter struggling for his life and go. Because he asks him some questions. But he doesn't stand over him and go, why did you doubt, you loser? Try harder. Believe more. Right? He doesn't offer any sort of condemnation at this point for Peter at all. Immediately he reaches out and takes Peter by the hand. How great is that? How great is our Savior? We are like Peter. We want to get out of the boat. We want to do the stuff. We want to walk by faith. And we hear Him call. We step out. We begin to do well. But the, the stuff is scary. And we begin to sink. And we have a wonderful Savior who when we cry out, Lord, save us. He reaches out and He grabs us. Man, that is... This is why I want to look at this passage. One... And I'll talk about the challenge in a second. It is there is a challenge here to be like Peter in some ways. But two, probably we're going to get frightened at times. And probably we're going to start to sink in our fear. And rather than letting Satan condemn us for that fear, rather than let Satan condemn us and tell us how worthless we are, What we need to do is see the picture of Jesus immediately reaching out with his hand. Again, everything about that is so significant. Do you know Jesus could have just said, rise, and Peter would have risen, couldn't he? I mean, that's what he did with Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. He didn't touch him. He didn't have to. He could have just said, get up. And Peter would have went right up out of the water by the sheer power of Jesus' statement. But he didn't. He reached out and he touched him. He took him by the hand. Very personally got involved to lift Peter up out of the water. So as we try to live by faith, as we try to walk humbly with our God, sometimes we're going to be afraid. And sometimes we're going to sink. And in that moment, we can listen to the devil who will tell us we're worthless. Or we can cry out, Lord, save me. And when we cry out, Lord, save me, immediately, Jesus reaches out, takes us by the hand, and lifts us up. Peter could have stayed in the boat like the others. And he would have, I mean, there would have been no condemnation for not trying. Not asking, 
not stepping out. It just would have been Jesus came, the wane and the wind stopped, and Jesus went on. But Peter took a risk. Jesus, if that's you, call me. He took the risk and he obeyed. And yeah, he sank. But what an experience he had with Jesus. Uh, now, of course, this is just a, a wondering thought. You think the other 11 often thought back and thought, gosh, I wish I'd have said something. I wish I'd have jumped out of the boat. Peter experienced something with Jesus no one else in the history of the world ever has. That's the power of faith. When we walk humbly with Jesus, we experience things with Him and from Him people who don't walk humbly with Jesus don't experience. So that the challenge for us is to cry out like Peter did. I want to be where you are. I want to do what you want me to do. And whatever that takes is what I'm, I'm going to do. In, in so many ways, we have a choice. We can be comfortable. Or we can live by faith and experience Jesus powerfully working in us and through us and for us. But the reality is we can't do both. If I'm comfortable, I really don't need Jesus for that. I don't need Jesus' power to sit in my comfortable chair. I don't need Jesus' power to do what I've always done and stay where it's safe and familiar and comfortable. But I do need Jesus' power to get out of the boat to go where He's leading me to go. Now, I won't say choosing comfort is always a sin. But I will say that choice always causes us to miss out on the amazing things Jesus can, will, and probably wants to do in us, through us, and for us. My prayer for me personally, and my prayer for our church, is we would choose to get up out of our comfortable chairs. And we would pray the prayer of desire. Jesus, I want to be where you are. We would pray the prayer of surrender. You call me and I'll go no matter what that looks like. And we would take that step of faith to get out of the boat and to walk humbly with our God. Not letting the fact that we might fail keep us from it. Not letting the fact that we might get overwhelmed by it stop us. But to do it confidently knowing if we're overwhelmed, if we become afraid, if we begin to sink, Lord save me and immediately, immediately our Savior will reach out, take us by the hand, lift us up. Jesus wasn't done with Peter. He didn't take him back to the shore and kick him out of off the team, did he? Just, okay, you messed up there. There's another chance. Let's try this some more. What would happen in our lives if as individuals we determined we were going to walk humbly with Jesus no matter what that looked like, no matter where that took us, no matter what that caused for discomfort or challenge in our life, 
I'm going to walk humbly with Jesus on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. How different would our day-to-day lives be? How different would our home lives be? How different would our interactions with other people be? And, and And if we as a church, those of us who are here tonight, all of us determined we would do that, how different would our church be? What kind of impact would that make upon our church and our ability to reach Guyman for Christ? I love our church and I love our community. Imagine what Jesus will do in us and through us and for us as we determine no matter what, I will walk humbly with you. Throughout my day, throughout my life. Let's determine to be those people. Let's determine we'll get out of our comfortable chairs. We'll pray that prayer of desire. I want to be where you are. We'll pray that prayer of surrender. I I want to do what you want me to do. And we'll pray that prayer of faith. No matter what that looks like, I'm going to walk humbly with you. Let's choose to be those people and see what Jesus can do, what Jesus will do. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and devotion. Help us, O God, to gather the comfortable chair of life. To walk humbly with you. Help us to desire to be where Jesus is and to be where he's working in our community. Or to be where he's working in our world. To say, I want to be where you are and I want to do what you want me to do. And so I'll step out and go where you want me to go and act how you want me to act. Living by faith is not comfortable. It is very challenging. But it's only in that life of faith that we see your power. It's only in that life of faith we we see what you can do. We see that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or imagine. Call us. Call us all out of the boats. And let us step out in absolute confidence in our God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.